Hello, wonderful friends. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Beyond Autistic Burnout. Today, we're embarking on a fascinating and heart-centered journey with our returning guest, Benjamin Christmas. We'll be diving deep into the world of unlocking inner space, exploring mindfulness, and understanding the unique experiences many of us have. Get ready for insightful conversations, practical strategies, and personal stories that will inspire and empower you on your burnout restoration journey. But that's not all. Stick around because we have a lot in store for you today. I'll be sharing exclusive peeks into the newly released Autism and Neurodiversity Masterclass with a special discount code just for our audience, along with the latest hot topics, including how your favorite music helps pain relief and a challenge I am inviting everyone to join to make Halloween and all holiday events more inclusive and neuro-friendly. So grab your favorite drink, get comfy, and join us for a transformative and enlightening episode. Let's kick off this incredible journey together, my friends. Welcome to Beyond Autistic Burnout, the talk show designed to empower ADHD autistic professionals like you to thrive in your career, life, and beyond. I'm Carol Jean Whittington, an ADHD autistic business professional who's not just surviving, but thriving after decades in burnout. And I'm thrilled to have you here with us. Each episode, I'll be joined by inspiring guests as we dive deep into transformative strategies and insights. We'll show you how to break free from burnout, ignite sustainable energy, and embrace your authentic self. Together, we'll navigate career challenges, nurture relationships, and excel in every aspect of life. It's time to fuel your success and embark on your journey of empowerment. Let's take this incredible journey together. Get ready to be an authentic leader and unleash sustainable energy in your life. Welcome to Beyond Autistic Burnout. Let's start thriving. Oh my goodness. Guys, we have had over 13,590 new listeners who have joined Beyond Autistic Burnout just in the last 30 days over on Spotify alone. So welcome new listeners. We are thrilled to welcome you to the Mind Your Autistic Brain community. You are joining over half a million autistic ADHD adults in over 93 countries who are here empowering their burnout restoration journey. So a big welcome to each and every one one of you. Guys, welcome to our live studio audience. If you're here joining us in the chat from LinkedIn or YouTube, say hello, because sometimes we don't know you're here unless we see you pop up in the comments box. And my guest, Benjamin Christmas, and I can see your comments and we want to be able to engage with you. Remember, this is an interactive show and we are here to have a conversation with you, not at you. So be sure to drop in the chat box. Let us know where you're joining from, what you're excited about today. And hey, if you hadn't noticed. I got my costume on today because I am Barbie. I'm autistic ADHD Barbie today. Um, so here's a picture about two years ago. I dressed up as Barbie for the very first time. This was a really big deal for me because I had always wanted to be Barbie, but there was this part inside of me that said, you're not good enough. 
You're not pretty enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not all the things that make you enough that you could dress up as Barbie. And as a late identified woman, I'm finally stepping into my thrive, getting out of burnout and into my authentic self where I've unmasked and really embraced the empowered leader I am. Heck yeah, baby. I am Barbie again today. And I'm so excited because I'm getting to go to this fantastic event I'm hosting in our local town for trick or treat tonight. And I can't wait because I have some fun stuff in store. So let me know in the chat box, what has been your favorite Halloween costume at any point in your life as an adult, as a kiddo? Oh, hey, Danny. I'm so glad you're here. Danny's joining us from Virginia. So Danny, drop in the chat box. What was your favorite Halloween costume? We'd love to know. Okay, so I got something special. You know, I think it's really important that we, and one of the things that I like to really spread and teach is more about how to be more inclusive. And Halloween's STEM tool showdown versus candy, safeguarding inclusive and allergy-friendly Halloween for all kids and all people. So if you think Halloween is all about sweets, think again. Let's flip the script and see how Halloween can be fun, safe, and therapeutic for all kids with STEM tools. Oh, yes. I am so excited to talk about this. You know, once upon a Halloween night, kiddos went trick-or-treating, but not all could enjoy the sweet delights. Some kids have peanut allergies. Some kids might be diabetic. There's so many different reasons why trick-or-treating and candy alone is really excluding a lot of people. But what if we could change that? What if we could change that? What if Halloween could also be a time to hand out tools that help kiddos, especially those who are ADHD, autistic, or have anxiety issues, and also safeguard our kiddos with life-threatening allergies? Oh yes, I've got it for you right here, guys. So check it out. I have got tonight, instead of candy, I have STEM tools with my business card attached and a little QR code that can be scanned. It says how to use the spiky fidget ring. So this year I'm handing out spiky fidget rings. And this is my spiky fidget ring from Joe Samen at Kaiko Fidgets. And she owns, uh, she's the co-owner of Kaiko Fidgets uh, with, along with her son, Kai. Both of them are autistic and Joanna's late identified ADHD autistic and was the person who introduced me to the fabulous spiky fidget ring. Guys, she's located in Australia. And this is sort of our down under for the next two weeks where we are highlighting and shining a light on amazing advocates. So be sure you check out the spiky ring at Kaiko Fidgets. And if you'd like to watch the video and learn more about how to use this wonderful tool for ages and minds of all kinds, check out the video located at resources.mindyourautisticbrain.com. If you would like to be part of this incredible challenge this year, I would love to encourage you to please use the amazing hashtags this Halloween. Let's go beyond candy. Let's offer a tool that kids can use over and over again to calm, regulate, and focus. So as you're thinking about Halloween, as you're handing out items tonight, 
use the hashtag Safe Halloween in STEM versus candy. I'd like to invite you to share your experiences and ideas for STEM tools that you could get out at Halloween. So, hey, if you're in the live studio audience, drop us a, a chat there in the comment box and let us know what are some STEM tools that you would suggest or that you love that you think would be great to hand out at Halloween instead of candy. Oh, here we go. Danny said, I had a full body cow suit that said, got milk. Oh my gosh, Danny, I love that. That is too cute. Oh man, you can never go wrong with a cow costume. I was talking to a, a new friend earlier this morning and she said that her, her uh, son was going as a cow today. So see, cows are popular. I love that. That's so great. Okay, guys. I got some good stuff for you here today. Mm, there's always something good out in the news. There's always some new research. And, you know, I'm always about sharing some new research. Favorite music and its impact on pain relief. This was really, really interesting to me. So there's a new study that was released last Wednesday in the journal Frontiers in Pain Research. And it shared that listening to favorite songs could reduce people's perception of pain. The most effective pain relievers in music were found to be sad songs detailing bittersweet and emotional experiences. So think about this for a second, guys. This is kind of a big conversation that we have in the community about, oh my gosh, songs that we love, songs that we listen to. So part of our live studio audience, guys, I would love to invite you to share sort of a song that you love, maybe what you're listening to on repeat right now over here in our unveilers community uh, for our Energize and Restore Experience Day that we had on September 30th. We had a fantastic playlist and all of our unveilers and all of our ticket holders for that event shared some of their favorite songs. Um, if you'll remember back on an episode that I did with Doug Bletcher, he shared a song called We Can Do Hard Things. And um, Laura Van Dyke also shared one of her, a list of her favorite songs. And it's in her episode for Autistic Women that we had earlier this year. Songs and music are such a big part of sometimes how we express our emotions if we don't have the words for it, because I'm Alexa Thymic, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I don't always have the words to put with how I'm feeling. And sometimes I can feel these really big emotions and I'm not sure. I have always found that music is sometimes how I can identify or connect with what I'm feeling in my physical body. And it was amazing to me when I was reading this research paper to also see sort of the concrete data that was showing how music can help our pain perception. You know, one of the, the things that Dr. Matthew Lieberman talks about in his research and his work is how our brain actually shows up and identifies, like if we say I'm heartbroken or my heart hurts or my heart feels broken in this in particular emotional situation, then in our brain, it actually registers as physical pain. So I think it's really important, especially in our neurodistinct community, that we look at so many of us have naturally used music as a pain reliever, as a way to express our emotions or identify our emotions. Oh, hey, James. So uh, Justine Sousa, S-U-I-S-S-A, Above and Beyond, All Right Now. Ooh, I'm gonna have to go check that one out. That may be added to our, our playlist that we got going here, Mind Your Autistic Brain. Thanks for sharing that one, James. 
Ooh, I love that. I always love a good song. So I would love to also let you guys know next week to continue our highlighting of the amazing Autism and Neurodivergent Masterclass rock stars, Rachel Rowe, the CEO and founder of Autism Camp Australia, and the absolute genius mastermind behind the Autism and Neurodiversity Masterclass will be our guest next week as we continue shining a light on all our autistic advocates down under. So I've been sharing and um letting you guys in on little clips from some of our rock stars because I'm so thrilled to be a part of this masterclass. This week, I would like to highlight Chris Bonello. Chris is also known as Autistic Not Weird. And Chris is a British autistic advocate, an award-winning writer and international speaker, also a novelist and a former teacher. In 2015, four years after receiving his autism diagnosis at the age of 25, he launched Autistic Not Weird to share his insights from both a personal and professional perspective. So let me share Chris's. Chris's amazing video. So you get a little peek into a little more about Chris. There was something to celebrate here. This 12-year-old boy who had been treated like he didn't belong in so many other places, he'd learned that he didn't have to run away. And sometimes that is what getting inclusion right looks like. I just love Chris. He's so amazing. And our second rock star feature today is M. Rusciano, also as known as M. Solation. I don't know if you guys have checked out. She has an amazing podcast. And um, M. is an Australian writer, singer, stand-up comedian, self-titled maximalist, power queen. I love that. Neurodivergent magic brain, lover of the absurd, and host of the award-winning podcast, Insulation. M was diagnosed as an ADHD -er at the age of 42 and autistic at age 43. In 2023, M addressed the prestigious National Press Club of Australia on the subject of ADHD. She shared her very raw and real experience and called for policy reform from the Australian federal government. Oh my goodness, guys, you are going to absolutely love this video clip from M. When I heard this the first time as she was speaking, I'm going, yes, yes, yes. And I was also just laughing when she talked about somebody having less brain cells doing better on like executive function tasks. So guys, I'm going to take it over here, let you listen to this incredible clip from the Autism and Neurodivergency Masterclass from Autism Camp Australia featuring M. Rosciano. Like it's, it's all the things. And I know that when I was working in corporate environments, in radio, in telly, and even just in high school, I now understand, like I would look around and be like, why am I was really good at hard stuff and really bad at easy stuff. And I would look around and be like, why am I struggling so hard right now just to do this thing that I know that dude over there who's got half the brain cells I have. This guy is doing the thing. Why can't I just sit and do the thing? But it's because of the fluoro lighting and it's because of all the kids talking around me and it was because of the alarms going off outside and it was because the teacher was talking and it was because somebody had music on in another classroom and it was because I was already challenged. And then on top of that, I have ADHD, but I was undiagnosed. So my executive function, that part of my brain is not really functioning. So 
everything's against me. And still I was like slogging through it and being told, just try harder, just try, just try. If you, if you would just try. Oh my goodness. How many times in my life have I told myself, just try harder. And especially when I looked over there and I saw somebody in them so eloquently put it with half the brain cells excelling and doing well. And I knew I was smarter and I was struggling. And it it's it is a real thing. So I I absolutely love the contribution that Emma's made to this masterclass. So guys, stick around to the end of the show today to get my special discount code just for our Mind Your Autistic Brain community to get a discount on the Autism and Neurodivergency Masterclass. Our Spicy Pepper VIPs got access earlier today. So if you'd like to also get early access to discounts, burnout, workshops, and more, sign up at our website and mindyourautisticbrain.com to join the Spicy Pepper VIP email list and never miss out on all the goodness I love to share every month. Oh my gosh. And there's only 50 of these. So stick around and make sure you get the code because I would love for you to get that discount on this incredible episode um, of this masterclass that we have. Oh, here it is. It's time, folks. It is so, so exciting for me to have our guest here today. Friends, it's an absolute pleasure to introduce our remarkable returning guest today, Benjamin Christmas. With a profound background in public health, Benjamin is a passionate advocate for mental health, complex systems, neurodiversity, and trauma-informed approaches. Their unique perspective as a lead identified autistic individual and member of the LGBTQIA community adds depth to their insights. As an emerging artist and an expert in fields ranging from data science to language and linguistics, Benjamin brings a wealth of knowledge to the table. Their episode number 108 is in our top 20 most listened to episodes, so be sure and go back to check out the show after today. That's again, episode 108. We're about to embark on a truly enlightening conversation, exploring inner space, mindfulness, and the experiences within our neurotype. Benjamin, welcome to Beyond Autistic Burnout. I'm so thrilled to have you with us today, my friend. Thank you for having me. I must say it's such a pleasure again to be back and to yeah, see your face. And like we said prior, it's been a bit of a full circle moment. Um, and I must say, I'm pretty, pretty stoked to be here. I've been looking, we've been talking about it and looking forward to it. And it's finally here. So thank you again, Carol. Absolutely, Benjamin. And I just love all of the insights and this, the heart and the variety of perspectives that you bring to every conversation that you have. It is such a joy to have you here with us. Benjamin, let's dive into this incredible topic that we have today, understanding inner space and cultural influence. So let me know, what, what do you mean by understanding inner space? Why does that matter? And what's the cultural influence that's at play here? Yeah, I think um, the, the, the first part of the the question will answer with the second part. And um, I think uh, the cultural influence that's played on what we, or what I've called inner space, um, particularly in the West, because um, I can really only speak to the West, but um, 
we have a we we have a propensity to to ignore it. Uh, we we intellectualize, and if we don't intellectualize, we have a tendency to either overthink or extrapolate meaning where there is none, and it makes it difficult um, to even know that inner space exists. And when some may stumble upon it, it's frightening. And, you know, even, even the language around it, I'm even, I'm even aware the way that I'm speaking about it now, for some, it's still, what are you talking about? And so, it's very- Benjamin, what are you talking about? Define sort of inner space or give us a container about, so we yeah. can understand, what do you mean when you say inner space? Yeah, so when we talk about thoughts and thinking, most uh, individuals would talk about thinking as if it's them, as if they themselves are doing the thinking. Now, that's not to say that isn't the case, but generally the brain is also doing things itself, like the heart, the lungs, and the rest of the body does. It makes noise. And the inner space, I feel, um, in a way that I could describe it, is having an opportunity to breathe inside where the space between you and maybe those rush of thoughts is perhaps maybe a little bit distant to than before. There's a little bit more breathing space. There's a bit more of a gap between you and that onslaught that most people, I feel, at some point in their lives and some for their, all their lives deal with. It's just the, 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 that sort of inner working that when you, when you sit and you're thinking about things and you're not, not necessarily paying attention to the external world, that there is your inner space. Some may even feel that that's not an inner space, that's just them. But if you don't know that there, something like that exists, we've got to kind of name it, give it something to talk about it and kind of categorize it, give it a label so that we can then describe it to other people that might not be familiar. So when I, oh, when, yeah. when I, when I talk about or think about inner space, I think about not even the, like, yeah, sure. If we close our eyes and we are in that, in this moment, just thinking that's the inner space, the thinking and you seeing the thinking, that's all. Ah, yes. You know, to all of you unveilers out there in the unveiling method program, you are very, very aware of what Benjamin is talking about. Because in phase two of integration, we move into the self-care plan from the inside out. And the second thing that we do is we move into something called the thought thermostat. And we right. talk about our thoughts are not us. And for most of my life and most of us, you know, we're black and white thinkers and, and we're trying to do all of the things we think we're expected to do. And so there's this part of us that feels and believes that our thoughts are us and we have, you know, okay, the average brain. Now, this is not our beautiful, wonderful <laughs> wired brains, but the average brain has about 80 to 90,000 thoughts a day. Well, good for those slow thinking folks. I don't know what that would feel like. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm more like 180,000, 270,000 thoughts a day in my autistic ADHD hyperspeed brain. Sorry, yes. And when you have, right. And when you have that many and there's so many coming at you, it's like they move so fast, you can't grab them. And then you do grab onto one. And then it's like, oh, then that's, that's accurate. That's what's real. And then you follow that thought down mm -hmm. the rabbit hole and then you get, you know, the emotions then the physical nervous system response to whatever the story is that you tell yourself about the thought that you've just had. Exactly. And you're talking I, about what we talk about, like with our mind, we name our mind in this, this element of the thought thermostat. And so mine's name Wilhelmina after my cabbage patch kid. Uh, yes, mine's name. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And it's like, okay, hey, I know you're trying to keep me safe and yeah. you're not trying to really be mean and keep me in this negative, you know, frame or whatever it is that I'm thinking. And I appreciate that. But this is where we start to disrupt it. And this is a lot of what you and I are talking about mm -hmm. today is like getting okay. a little bit of that perspective on your thoughts and also going like, hey, Wilhelmina, girlfriend, I'm so glad you showed up trying to help me today. But that's not how we roll around here anymore. Yes. I love that you personalized it too. It, 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 in a way, it's that label again. It's giving something, something, and you're able to then see it and and give it some meaning that you weren't able to assign before because of, it wasn't labeled it wasn't given a container it doesn't mean it's always going to be that label or that container and i was thinking just before just how you were talking about the rush of thoughts you know for me the metaphor that comes to mind is almost as if you know you've you, you've been trying all day to catch a fish and i would be you know trying to trying to catch one of them and eventually you would catch one but it's not it's not actually a fish it's another boat and you get and you get pulled along you know and then that's it your day's gone you've 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 lost everything now because you've you've suddenly found yourself what you thought was fishing now you're in the water <laughs> and you're actively drowning um and yes. it was almost it was it was honestly like i really appreciated seeing the um one of the clips from before because i very much related to i can do the hard things the things that people try very hard to do in their lives and, and this is never to weight something as more or less it's just different because what's hard for me is easy for others and vice versa and if we were to get into the whole you know it's not going to actually have a, a decent conversation it's just going to be a binary but the idea for me as well was art oh, the frustration the just the the and then you have rumination already bubbling away right like so oh, you have yes like like weighted boots pulling you down oh, in the water I used, to, I used to say it was like spinning plates you know and you're always spinning plates but you're also i don't know juggling and spinning plates on one foot and, you know and it's it would get to a point where you you even just a, just a quick breath everything would come tumbling down and yeah. I, I think that's a really good you know sort of way of putting it when Things are have always been for for me and a very a very large number of autistic and neurodivergent people. The hard things are easy. The easy things are hard. You know what a way to that put it. Spiky profile, and you know, kind yes. of like what M said in her video. She was like, 
I'm sitting here looking at somebody with like half the brain cells doing yes. this stuff. And I'm just yes. like, what? Yeah, I can't do the easy things that people can just do. It was, you know, like I, I, I've, I've also thought about quite frequently this, this little sort of analogy that someone asked, I think it was on TikTok or something, where they asked a neurotypical friend who themselves, they asking the question when you're a divergent, and they asked a neurotypical friend, you know, when you're trying to implement a habit, a, you know, a good habit, so like brushing your teeth more regularly, I don't know. And do you think about every single step? Do you think about the the A to the B to the C to the D to the E to the F? You know, and I'm talking like getting up from the bed to getting getting pants on or what have you, to having a drink of water, to getting to the bathroom, to then doing the, the, the brushing of the teeth, making sure that you put enough, every, you know, uh, that, that's the degree that we go to. And he said, no, I just do it. It's just done. It, the intention is put out there and usually it carries out. You know, how infuriating. <laughs> I, I feel like it's, it's almost like that's, that's cheating. <laughs> and I that is part of the I guess the point of the show today is when people talk about overthinking many or even the people overthinking myself included at some point maybe even yourself Carol the the general sort of feeling even the way we would describe it, deal with it, talk about it, laugh it off. Everyone did it. And it was normal to stuff it down. It was normal to almost allow this gigantic ball of like uh, wool that's all tangled to get inevitably larger and larger and larger and larger. And, and, and it was all like, it's fine. It's literally that dog meme in, in hell. It's fine. And, and it's, it's rolling fine. over you, engulfing you and absorbing yeah. you. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. You know, that's no, really, I'm all good. And it, for me, I guess the elephant in the room was, was always the, the thing that I had to bite on the bit. You know, like I, I could not deal with the fact that we would never address major things that, you know, for me, it's like everybody that I knew in my previous life, I would I'd probably like to say, but also going forward, rumination and overthinking in my older life was very much just a part of life. So it wasn't even a thing that you would go seek help for because the consequence of the overthinking is what you would go seek help for. The anxiety, yeah. the, the, the depression. And that also infuriated me. Why would, I, why would I seek assistance for something that was a consequence of the very thing that was the problem? So if we're going to- never addressing the actual problem so often. And I love that we're having this conversation today. So like we've started kind of moving here, but I want to really like strategically move us to this part of the conversation. And that's what are some of the nuanced differences and experiences between neurotypes? Because, you know, mm. like you mentioned a few minutes ago, it's mm. overthinking. It's like, like, that's our norm. That's our experience. That's what we know. And so the default is, well, 
that's how everybody experiences it. They've just figured out how to navigate it somehow. And I haven't. So we, we show up with a lot of shame and guilt and a lot of like, I'm failing at adulting or being a human. So what are some of the biggest differences that you've found when we're talking about inner space between neurotypes, Benjamin? I find ironically the neurodivergent experience and the, and the, the description of people's internalities, internalities, like the internal environment. So I'm, uh, or you know some um, sort of media have 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 called it uh, mind palaces or something something akin to having these places that the neurodivergent experience very much is akin to that. I think it's the fact that the cognitive dissonance that we've been given has been that the norm, which is not this not the the vividity that most experience of in a neurodivergent way the norm is well we don't even worry about that and if you are overthinking well suck it up so there's not even any sort of internal appreciation or observation and then when it's spoken to it's shut down so you know we're only really coming into ourselves as a community in the last, say, I would say probably the last three years since COVID. And that's because it's been a forced thing in, in a good and in a, in, a, in a bad way. But the idea of it is, is that we've had to really push ourselves to seek out other neurotypes that are sharing the same internal experience because we haven't been able to find people that they either pathologize it they say it's abnormal it's not medical deficit like now we're just not like we're below standard and there's also the there's so much stigma you know there's uh, i remember reading a great article about a a researcher in trauma who was also a licensed uh, psychiatrist who was running some studies in bipolar and schizophrenia to help individuals actually talk to certain parts of these personalities that they were experiencing in a way where they were actually reorientating themselves to actually realize that this is maybe advice or information I needed to actually hear and maybe integrate. And as soon as this certain approach actually yielded some really amazing results because there was no pathologization. And the rumination, it's, I think, the, the overthinking is a consequence of the various neurodivergent experiences, of the various neurotypical experiences when it comes to PTSD, stress, and you know acquired neurodivergence. All these things, in the, in in the ways that are specific to them, because you do have a variety of experience, they all generally uh, inevitably lead to a ruminatory experience. Because the oh my way goodness, that, yes. You know, it's just, it's a normal, it, I would almost prescribe it normal. Yeah. And, and too, like Benjamin, we've talked about this before. When you actually look at your environment and when you don't know that the way that you process and perceive the world is different from other people, 
then we also begin overthinking as a result or a consequence of the impact of our environment. So when somebody says, why are you doing that that way? That's weird. Why wouldn't you do it this way? Then we constant. Then we begin from that point forward. Then we are overthinking. Oh my gosh, am I doing that the way that people expect me to, or am I thinking or saying something? Am I dressing? Am I speaking? You know, all of the things. Am I doing it the right way? Or in conversations, like let's just start thinking about all the times I've laid in bed awake at night, replaying conversations in my head, going, oh, "Dear yeah. gosh, yeah. did I get it yeah. wrong? Did I?" Did I offend someone? Was I rude? Why oh, did yeah. they, why did their energy shift oh, like that in the middle energy. of a conversation? Oh, just absolutely mortifying energy, you know, like it was. And, you know, I find it such a beautiful thing in a way because a lot of the rumination is based in the comfort of others because we're seeking comfort for ourselves. And it's, you know, it's a beautiful thing in a way if you were to look at it like that because you're hurrying towards comfort for others so you can eventually be safe yourself. And yes, it's unhealthy. For many people, it's a life lived. But that's, we're not here to pathologize it. We're here to look at different things. And I think one thing that came to mind before is growing up neurodivergent, a neurodivergent experience is inherently cross-relational. Where, where we are reference checking. We are monkey see, monkey do. Monkey inquires and gets told, no, it's an elephant's life for you. Well, that's it. You don't have any other means to say no, because how, you, okay, that's what it is now. Um, and I think if we're going to talk about like how to get out of those sorts of ways of thinking, well, I think we've done a good way of describing rumination, but I think we also need to talk about, like you've mentioned before, which is the container. And for me, it's it's the the different types of thinking for neurotypes. Let's go here instead. Let's let's make this the, the container. We have a, a, a real vivid. So some people would talk about it like in a cinematic type of experience. My sister and I, she used to say that she'd have channels when she would be dreaming. She could just change the channel. And um, I have almost a simultaneously parallel cinematic experience happening in my head. It's, it's not necessarily thought about or given any energy. It's just there. And if I want to pay attention to it, I can. But there's also a lot of people that do not have any internalities. So much of their thinking is motion. It's emotion. It is a sort of bodily experience. Um, there's also the individuals that are so hyper aware from trauma and from the, 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 the flavors of autism and, and ADHD, because they kind of accentuate that hypersensitivity. Oh my gosh. Yes. You are speaking to me. Yeah. And the hyper focus that, that comes with that. So that's like the, the, the almost like the peripheral vision of a person. And we're talking about not just an external vision. We're also watching on the inside what's going on. So most people wouldn't know that this hyper awareness that trauma brings, not only does it extend to those 
internal environment, external environment where you are so aware of what is happening around you. Your peripheral vision is out here. It's, it's 270 degrees, but that's the same for the inside. And so you can imagine if you are ruminating at that stage already, you've exposed, inevitably you end up in a, in a worse place because now the, the degree of exposure to that internal rumination is even more so. And it's oh my a, gosh, yes. And you're not just talking about like yeah. a reflective rumination of like all the things that have happened in the past and experiences that have informed where I am today. Yeah. But then there's this other side to it where I'm then because I have had trauma and because I've had this experience of, in life where it doesn't feel safe for me to make my own decisions because somebody was telling me it was wrong. I then move into future predictive thinking, which is its own thinking trap. And then not only am I ruminating and, and replaying all the conversations, all the experiences, I'm also pouring my energy into trying to keep myself safe for anything I do moving forward, mm -hmm. but I'm never present in the moment. Mm -hmm. I'm missing the actual moment. And this is really all I have because the rumination is just a memory, which is also very inaccurate. It's subjective and it's clouded and shaded by so many different lenses. And then the predictive thinking that I think is going to help serve me is based on my experiences, but only what I remember from the experiences and who's to say that's accurate. So I could just be wasting all of this energy. So, so Benjamin, oh my gosh, what are some practical strategies? And, and Edna, thank you, Edna, for this kind of leading us here. What are some practical strategies that we can use to sort of observe our thoughts? How do we start mm. to unravel the giant ball that may be consuming us in our thoughts? Mm. I just had a thought before as well with thinking is uh, the uh, rumination as well. I would feel with the predictive thinking as well. Much of the rumination I feel is a backlog for neurodivergent people. It's an error log. It's a bug report. It's a constant event log that we get to ruminate to go over. So it's an additional thing that we have to almost process and it makes it difficult to even strategize in a way that like you say where do you pass where do you start to begin to unravel the raveling that is you and i think the, the the key point that i must probably be very prescient about for individuals who want this is that you cannot ever work in shame you have to never work in a in a place of frustration you can never work, and by this I mean the inner work, like the work that you, that say you're like, I'm overthinking, like you're at your wit's end, right? Like, and this is how I got for me. Like the overthinking was so bad. It almost felt like the letters were appearing in front of my eyeballs and I couldn't actually see anything, you know? And I know this is the thing, right? The practical steps, like give me the meaty bit that I, but the thing is the setup has to be good. I know, like you have to have, the, the on-ramp, right? And the on-ramp See, this is, is why I love you. You are so brilliant. This is one of the things. And you're talking about one of the, the linchpins when we talk about that integration step from that self-care plan from the inside out. The very first thing we do is reflection work. And we're actually engaging those mirror neurons for self-love and compassion. 
We have to set that container because like you said, we can't even begin to slow down the thoughts to even change anything without the right foundational piece. Because if we come to it with shame, we come to it with guilt, we come to it with this like high level of anxiety that I can't make a mistake, then we're just like going down the same slope. It's just slicker and it goes faster. Exactly. So the, the snowball gets bigger, right? So it's like, I need exercises now. Okay, hold up. Right, like, we always put the okay. stuff. Exactly. It's it's an ADHD thing, right? I wouldn't know anything about it, Benjamin. No. Mm -mm. <laughs> um, but the, the idea, I think, for me is like we, we are such great learners, yeah. right? And much of the learning has come from observation and through segmented learning where there's lots of gaps as well for things that should have been there at the very beginning. So I like to think of this exercise and these sets of ideas, because this is what they are, is that we are almost kind of hooking into that natural strength of observation that we have. And we are actually empowering ourselves to not feel as if I need to stop something. So this is the point. You, you, if we, if once we extrapolate it further and particularly come the next podcast, when we've actually gotten this idea out is that with, when you're trying to stop something, majority of the time when you try to stop overthinking, what does it do? You've added another. Oh my gosh, year. it exacerbates it. It, it exactly. actually makes everything bigger because then you, then we get into the like, oh crap, I'm not, I'm still doing it and I'm failing. And then it's like one more thing that we're not doing right. And, and what does your nervous system thought? do when that happens? Exactly. Exactly. And you have intrusive thoughts. You have your, and it's like, okay, like, but how do I, how do I get out? And what you're saying is like, how do I get out of my own head? You don't. I'm sorry. There's no escape from your own brain. Sorry, like, folks. There isn't. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think for me as well, it's like I was never told your thoughts aren't you, but also your thoughts are you, your body. You know, um, I always thought that in segmented. Okay. Body. Say that again. Mm. Repeat it for the folks in the back that didn't quite <laughs> hear it. Say that again. So that. So I learned this the same way, like segmentedly. So I first got, you know, went through life, didn't know. Then I first learned thoughts on you. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's, that's weird. All right. It took me a long time to realize, though, that your brain is your body. And your brain is a part of your body. And it has a job to do. Now, like... If we can imagine a Kendall walking through life, right? And their their brain in in this context is fairly loose, but like their, their brain is not environmentally strained and it hasn't been chronically over time, nor does it have the genetic predispositions to neurodivergency. So the idea of ruminating and, and going over things perhaps is nowhere near to the degree. Right. So, but then if you add all those things on top of that, 
I don't like to call it fuel on the fire, but it's it's just like you have it's almost like your external experience is 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 mirrored in inwards. The the neuro like the, the more of a neurodivergent sort of experience that you have, I feel. Um and then it's like, okay, where does one start and the other begin? I think this is the part of the problem with humanity. We love to make labels and patterns and boxes and think that they exist in isolation and they don't. So when your body isn't your brain, your brain isn't your body, sorry, you have a tendency to think of it as an isolated thing. And then that brain is you and you're trapped in a corner somewhere of that brain. And your brain is almost like the tyrant, right? It's, it's just flogging away these thoughts you know, and it's like, okay, right. This is getting a little bit silly now. It's actually starting to affect my life. And how can I, how do you tell someone that their thoughts aren't them if it's overwhelming? Right. So it's really very- what I'm hearing you say is that if we want to stop overthinking, the first thing we have to do, and if you guys have been hanging around me if for any amount of time, you know, I always say it's not just our neurodistinct brains, it's our neurodistinct bodies. It is all one holistic, all body, completely contained thing. And it works in conjunction together. And so what I hear you saying is before we can really even start to slow down the thoughts, we have to start tapping into what am I experiencing in my body? And how is that correlating with what I'm observing in my thoughts, in my mind? Exactly, Carol. And this is a, and then, you know, the on-ramp again. So it's a series of on-ramps kind of going backwards in a way, because how do you tell a person to observe themselves if they don't know how? Or their hyper-focus from trauma is extendable entirely outwards and there's nothing on them. And the way I believe and feel and has and have worked through and in my own experience is that the compassion side of things and the observation side of things is the, the, the majority part of the first part of the work. And I mean that and it's like it's like you gotta go do the work. No, no, no. Every time you feel like you're overthinking and you want it to stop. The key now is, is to not ruminate over the stopping. So you're going to just allow it to wash over you. So the first thing I would say for anyone listening or wanting that first, like, give me the, give me the thing, right? Like, okay. All right. I'll give you something. So the idea is, is now, okay. You're like, you know, I'm going to act it out a little bit. It's like, you're here and you're like, oh, the thoughts is just too much. Right. They're not going to hurt you. They're just thoughts. Now, I know this is for some people. It's like, well, how dare you? <laughs> I've been there. All right. Don't worry. We've all been there. Okay. It's not as if we're saying it without any weight. But what I want you to do in the moment, in this very moment, the present moment, is to sit and and you're not thinking, as in you're not actively contributing to it, right? You're just, and if you have to mutter something almost internally, like some people do have to, all I, all I would suggest you say or do is acknowledge thoughts. And if you have to say something, say, thank you. And people are like, what, to all of them? 
Yes, all of them, even the really bad ones. I want you to realize that thoughts are not you. So when thoughts come about, a lot of the brain, so if we were to extrapolate it to tech, right? The brain is the digital software. Uh, sorry, the, the brain is the analog software to the mind's digital software. So you've got the analog hardware, the brain, and you have the digital software, which is the mind, right? And the thing that is receiving all the information is your body. Which now, is the hardware. And if all of the software, analog and digital, are going so fast that all you're doing is burning out your hardware, folks, you're in the right place today. Let's take it a step further. Your, your, your brain has got shitty parts for, for a while. It was given some different mods and shit and half of it was kicked around and, and you know, you rocked that up. That cheat code has jacked you up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, I'm not ever saying this is a you in a static way. It just feels that way, right? And naturally your brain is gonna translate that albeit garbled because of the epigenetic factors, because of your trauma, because of the, and, and, and I don't even like using the word trauma because of the connotation, but epigenetically in a, in a trauma biological sense, you take any creature, any person, you exhibit their, their response uh, sorry, you, you, you observe their response, right, to a harrowing event and then to a series of harrowing events. And I think you're going to observe something. So the idea is, it's like, okay, instead of denying one's reality, right, the brain isn't denying your reality. Like for me, I've been through many terrible things. And so naturally, my brain had a, a knack for echoing it, Right. Like it, it, you know, you get told so many things over so many times. Your brain is a sponge and you're always learning and you're an autistic brain. So your sponge is very capable. So, you know, it's just, you're getting into it. And so when you're sitting there and you're thinking like, you know, you're holding on for dear life, like all oh, the thoughts, I want you to realize that they, a lot of that is just information. So a lot of it is like your big radar, that is you, right? Most people's radar, maybe, you know, so the degree of information coming in, it's manageable. And that's all they could probably deal with anyway. But then your radar is like this, but you've been told it's this big, right? And so the information that's coming in, it's not over overwhelming, it's cognitively dissonant. Yes. And that's a big issue. You know, like it, most people wouldn't even speak to the cognitive dissonance that's available just in a regular experience, right? So it's like, whoa, where do you start, man? And I want you to start from just observing it. Like the observation is already happening. You don't actually have to try. So like the, the, the overthinking is already there. You're already noticing it. I just want you to not contribute to it by thinking about the thinking. And what do you do? You just say thank you. Every I love thought, that. Every thought's going to yes. come up, right? It's going to be like, "Hi, Carol," right? You know, every "Hi, Carol." We got some. We got, you know, all two hundred seventy thousand of them. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> every moment, and like, thank you. No emotion. Thank you. Thank you. I'm back again. Thank you. 
Oh my gosh. And Benjamin, you just touched on something really important. No, no emotion on. So when we talk about this and when we talk about our thoughts, one of the things that's really important is that we also recognize that we can have thoughts that are neutral. They don't have to have a charge. Yes, our brain is five times more predisposed to negative bias thinking, but we can go, you know what? Mm, it's neutral. And we've got a great question here in the chat box from one of our live studio audience members from Edna. She wanted to know, why are we thinking the thoughts? Are they helpful somehow? So I'm going to kind of give my quick answer and I'm going to let Benjamin go because I know Benjamin can go a little bit deeper on this one. But you know, you were just kind of touching on this and I talk about this and, and it's that, that cognitive dissonance that we have between neurotypes. And one of those things is so we've got studies, scientific research studies that are observing different brains, autistic brains and a neurotypical, I say neurodominant brain. I don't think they're the majority, but I think that they dominate the conversation. So that's why I say neurodominant. Mm -hmm. And we put these two in, a, in an fMRI, a functional magnetic resonance imaging machine. Yeah. And we look at where's the brain lighting up? Where is it being activated? What's, what parts of the brain are being utilized to execute this specific task? So Edna, to kind of start off with what Benjamin was talking about, and this is why I say, look, if you're wondering why you're in burnout as an autistic or ADHD human, this is one of the reasons. We were told that our circle was this big and our circle is this big because we don't have the same type of neural pruning that happens. And this shows up in this particular research and study. So is very much a valid case. Uh, the pruning can be anywhere. Like, like if we think logarithmically, it can be almost like from a scale of one to 10, the, the degree of brain matter. Yes. And it's, it's, it's actually quite eye-opening. Um, so, you know, for me as well, and I, I actually, for the longest time, going back to the radar, thought my radar was actually very small. You know, and naturally when you think that way for a long time, you learn the shape of the container very well. Mm, yes, you do. You've been pushed up against the edge a long time. Yeah. And I believe a lot of us are very, uh, far more capable than we've ever given ourselves credit for. And Edna, I would say in regards to why, the why is to say cross the rickety bridge that is stopping the overthinking. That takes a long time. We're at the first part of that. The helpfulness is not so much the thought, the content of the thought. So this is a thing. People get hooked up on the content and the, the, the content of the form of the thought. Now, any thought that you have can be, so let's, let's, what is a thought even, right? Thought is form. So form is internal form and it can be emotion, color, words, pictures, movies, cinema. It can be anything, you know, anything that takes form in your mind is thought. Now, thought is a pattern, yeah? Now, whether we sign meaning to it or not is neither here nor there. That's a part of our experience. The brain is doing it regardless. Whether we add or subtract doesn't stop the brain from doing. It will add and subtract and, and, and additionally add our sort of flavors of, in, of, of additional experience on top of that, which then changes things. But it's still the act of the thinking is still happening from the brain. 
And so by thanking, what we're doing is we're acknowledging. And acknowledging is more trans, tra like transitioning from a struggle that is thinking and ruminating, which is like, uh, like, I don't want to, like, I, I can't, how do I even begin to tangle, untangle that? It's only tangled because we're viewing it that way, right? It's tangled because it's all one string. That is my life, right? And it's all, all tangled up. That's one string isn't actually a string, guys. It's just thoughts. You are you and now in every moment. So the idea is by sitting here and allowing it to wash over you for the first time in your life, you're actually not resisting. You're not tussling with yourself. That's what it is. Like you're giving yourself an opportunity. It's like your brain for the first time would be like, oh, that's what it will do. It will, it will just vomit out all this stuff because in a way we've kind of given it such a small little nozzle, right? The velocity at which it comes out, it's fast. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's all, it's all conceptual because the mind in of itself is actually mostly empty. You know, the idea of it, your brain, it's actually just a big toolbox for you to use. And you yourself, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. But when you start building what we've talked before about in the germination of obligation, the experiential gap, some people don't realize that they are their thoughts, right? They think this is them, their thoughts, they're one and the same, right? But after a while, when you start acknowledging things, so it's like, I am ruminating a lot. My brain is overboard at the moment. Oh, yeah, yeah, I might be thinking a bit, but my brain's gone a bit psycho, whatever, you know, it's just the usual. And then it gets further away. It's, but by further away, it's like the noise of the brain, right? And the noise of the brain is not getting smaller. You are getting bigger. So it's the idea that when you're moving away from something, it gets smaller. Does the size of it decrease? Really? No. You are building distance between you and it. So the thoughts, I like to always think about it in this way, in an atomic way. An atom in of itself is 99% space. You have your electrons flying around. And I know this is just one of the models. It's not the, the exact model. But let's just think of it this way, you, you, you know, and then you have your atom in the, your, your nucleus in the middle and you've got your, but if we actually were to look at the volume versus the actual mass, it's, it's, it's a yin and yang scenario here. It's 99% space, 1% material. And much of our life is spent on that 1% thinking that noise, that static noise that that brain has to generate, you know, and we've, we, we've, we've taken this huge, say, glow that is our brain and inside there's a small little speck of noise and we've gone and we've just paid so much attention to that because it was noisy. It was different, right? And we didn't like being in this silence. It was uncomfortable, you know, so... The noise it was almost familiar, but we didn't realize that once we started looking that closely to it all, 
how do you ever know that there is anything else? That's that's all you see now. That's as big as your world is ever going to, and it's huge already now because it's, it's all you see. Oh my goodness, yes. And as we wrap up, I just do want to talk to this a little directly, kind of give a, a concise answer here because I have a theory about why we tend to overthink and sort of how we unpick this. And it's when we look at why are we thinking these thoughts in the first place? You know, our brain does two things. Number one, it, it seeks to keep us safe, to keep us alive. And number two, it seeks to conserve energy in order to support that first guise, which is to keep us alive. And so in order to conserve energy, to keep us alive, we automate things, including our thoughts. And when we have, you know, when I was talking about when we look at an fMRI and we compare two brains in a task, you know, a, a neurodominant brain is only going to light up in like three or four areas. And they're kind of concentrated in this one particular task they were looking at. And when they looked at the autistic brain, it was lighting up in a larger area in five or six places. Yes, I know exactly so we have a lot of these extra, we have a lot of extra thoughts because yes. we are using more of our brain and our brain is going, ah, what? Are, why is it being helpful? Because it's trying to keep us safe. It's trying to keep us alive. Now, when yes. we layer on our neurodistinct experiences of trauma, of survival, of trying to keep ourselves safe, our thoughts are serving us in the sense that, yes, they're not us. It's just our mind trying to sort through what does this mean so that I can navigate this moment right now so that I can stay alive. And if I stay alive and I've seen that this is not a threat, then if I do it more than two or three times, my brain's going to go, oh, this is safe, even if it's not good for us, folks. And then it's going to automate it. So then we've got this perpetual thinking going on in lots and lots of volume. Up, how do you stop? Yeah, yeah. And it's exactly. And I think the observation part is building that muscle, but it's also realizing that it's what we assign thinking. So generally when someone talks about rumination, they think when we talk about it, it's generally based in negativity. So I think if we were to strip, if we were in the in, not in the actual exercise in the person, but thinking in of itself is emotionless, and when it is worthwhile or intentional, it's actually enjoyable. The rumination part of it is the uncontrolled traumatic response to the environment and the internal response in the environment, because your own internal environment can be hostile. So I think you are correct in when you say environment. But the environment as well is in an internal environment, you know, and external environment. You've got a radar for your external and you have an inner radar. And if your inner radar has lots of angry people telling you and echoing everything that's ever been said to you in a negative way and you're ruminating about it, yeah, it's going to feel shit. It's going to feel crap. It's going to feel something that's going to be like, like, how do I? I'm doing that? it wrong. I'm failing, and all of this yeah. stuff. And we become our worst enemy because we can be so mean to ourselves and our own thoughts. Now, I do. Would I have actually a perfect chapter from the Dowdy Gene to read that's actually really pertinent to this? And oh, I, I love think, it. I think this will be something we can end on. But before I do read something, read something from there, I will. You know, we will expand on this more, and this is part of the journey because this is something that I've been working on. For nearly two years now and so much of it is grounded in conversation and part of the reason is is because the stories that we've been told and given and and internalized are neurotypical pathologized 
and based in, you know, generally surviving. And so when we think about thinking, really, we need to be kinder and compassionate to ourselves. Start observing, thanking it and acknowledging it. And then when you start doing that, you actually start to build a little bit of space between you and your thoughts. You realize that you yourself inter internally aren't, you aren't generating those thoughts. And you can say thank you to your brain. You don't have to say thank you to your thoughts. You can just say, thank you, brain. Thanks, brain. Thank you, brain. You're on fire today, brain. Really. Thanks like for trying to keep me alive. Like you've, you've, you've not letting me off the hook today. But the brain needs to hear that it's loved too. Your body needs to hear that it's loved. And by doing that, you're actually telling your brain that you're listening. And then when you listen, it will start to get a little bit quieter because you've listened to yourself. And that's the start of the practice. It's, it's listening before you can start doing. And so much of thinking and trying to stop thinking is doing. So the, We the, have to start being. Being. So I'm going to read this little chapter for us because it really does expand on what we're talking about. So this is chapter 36 of the Tao Te Ching. If you want to shrink something, you must first allow it to expand. If you want to get rid of something, you must first allow it to flourish. If you want to take something, you must first allow it to be given. This is called the subtle perception of the way things are. The soft overcomes the hard, the slow overcomes the fast. Let your workings remain a mystery to show people the results. And that's pretty much it. Let something, if you want to shrink it, if you want to get rid of it, you've got to let it come out first. You've got to let it, you've got to let it have its moment and then it will go. Don't try and do it before though, because you'll, that, that's a fight you'll never win. It's like trying to stop thinking before thinking has already happened. It's not going to happen. So let it go. And then, then you'll be able to, and be kind. It's like letting go of the need to have to analyze all your thoughts. As autistic people, the need to analyze and catalog and log, you don't need to do that with yourself all the time. You don't need to. And I'm giving you, whoever's listening, permission. You don't need to. Sometimes you can just say, that makes no sense. Thanks, brain. Moving on. And that's it. Oh, that is the best. I love it so much. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for sharing some insights around overthinking, how we can start to approach our thoughts from a place of creating inner space between ourselves and our thoughts, and so much more as we really dove into setting a foundation because we are going to have Benjamin back for another episode to go deeper because he has some exercises and some other information that's going to help take this to the next level. And I love that so very much. So as promised, guys, the Autism and Neurodiversity Masterclass can be accessed at autismmasterclass.com. The discount code for the first 50 people here in the Beyond Autistic Burnout and Mind Your Autistic Brain community, the discount code is MindYourAutisticBrainMC. That's a capital MC. And if you're a part of that spicy pepper 
burnout VIP list there at Mind Your Autistic Brain. You guys were receiving this earlier today in an email. So there may not be a lot left, guys. If you're listening to the show today, make sure you go get that if you are interested. This is a wonderful discount that is available for this fabulous course at autismmasterclass.com. The discount code again is Mind Your Autistic Brain MC. And as always, be sure that you go and take that quiz to identify how spicy your burnout is so that you can get the first steps to burnout restoration for your spicy pepper level and begin restoration today. Over 500 autistic ADHD adults have taken the spicy pepper burnout quiz, and the majority of results are showing over 38% of our indie population who takes the quiz is experiencing a level four habanero spicy pepper burnout. You may be asking, what's a habanero pepper level four burnout, Carol Jean? Well, some of the things that you can, might be experiencing, and if this is you, make sure you go take that quiz to find out for sure. Time blindness increases and challenges with task execution or completion become a daily experience. Physical symptoms from my warning, my internal warning list are more prevalent and consistent such as migraines, GI distress, overwhelming physical exhaustion, and brain fog, just to name a few. Executive function challenges are very noticeable to both you and those around you. This can also be where you experience very little emotional regulation and you can get very agitated or maybe you easily cry. You know, a lot of what Benjamin and I talked about today with that overthinking can also be something that could be coming up for you right now. So guys, Gratitude flows as we come to the end of another incredible episode of Beyond Autistic Burnout. Thank you for being part of this empowering journey. I'm Carol Jean Whittington, and I'm inspired by your commitment to growth and restoration. Keep applying these insights to your life. And remember, we're here every step of the way together. Share this podcast and talk show with others who could use a boost of empowerment. And let's create a ripple effect of positive change in the world. Until next time, take care, stay energized, and keep thriving. Thank you so much, Benjamin, for being here today. Um, this has just been mm -hmm. amazing. Take care, guys. And we appreciate all of our studio audience members, our questions, our comments, and all of the amazing things that you share along the way in this interactive and engaging community. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.